So I want you to um, use your imagination with me for just a minute, okay? I want you to try to imagine a culture. Okay, are you using your imagination or are you just listening to me? All right, I really want you to do this. So try to imagine a culture where almost everybody, at least part of the time, is overwhelmed by family drama. Try to imagine a culture where celebrities, well-known people, are called to task for their questionable behavior. And try to imagine a culture where different people groups are living in tension because of what is felt as a, a prejudiced or painful past. It's not that hard to imagine, is it? <laughs> I mean, that could describe the United States in 2022. But here's the kicker. What I just described for you could describe almost every culture and every society throughout the history of humanity anywhere on the planet, including Israel, as they wander in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 12. You see, if you were here last week or if you listened to it online, like part of what we saw was how the grumble shows up in God's people. And the grumble leads to complaining because of unthankfulness in Numbers chapter 11. Well, today, in Numbers chapter 12, the grumble is back. And if you heard last week, Chad said that there were two things that really lead to, like, most of our sin. It's unthankfulness, which we saw in how they grumbled last week, complaining for meat, like the whole group of people. And the other one was pride. And pride is that sense that I think I'm better than somebody else. And the pride that shows up in Numbers 12 today breaks our culture in all of the ways that we just listed. And so I want you to join me in Numbers chapter 12 this morning. And I actually want to just read you this entire chapter so you can get a feel for the, the flow of this story. So if you have a hard copy of your Bible or if you pull it up in a Bible app, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can follow along with me. I'm reading for the, from the New King James, which helps us kind of all stay on the same page. So it says, then Miriam, that's Moses' older sister, and Aaron, that's Moses' older brother, spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. And he said... Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. 
So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O oh God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So if you've been keeping track, we spent the first 11 chapters in the wilderness of Sinai. And by the end of today, the people will move on to the wilderness of Paran. Which means we are like right about here. And you're going to see how the grumble that is building up over these couple of chapters is going to fall apart when they get to Paran. And this week, as that pride comes in, I don't know about you, but I think one of the, one of the dangers for us in a passage like this I know it is for me, so as usual, I'll just own, maybe this is just for me, <laughs> is to read something like this and say, oh my goodness, how stupid can you be? Didn't you learn? Like you just saw people die in chapter 11 because of their grumbling and you're going to grumble again? And to treat these passages as if they're about somebody, but they're not for me. So here's the thing I want us to do right up top. I want us to own that all of us are capable of thinking we are better than others. And typically that probably doesn't come out of our mouths that way. Like, can I make a list for you of all the people that I'm better than? I've been keeping track of it. It's, it's really long. There's a lot of them. Right? We don't usually project it that way, right? In fact, sometimes for me, it comes through really subtly as thinking that I know better than others. Like probably the vast majority of the arguments I have with my wife is because I think I know better. Because I thought this through and I'm me and I must be right. And I don't know what's wrong with the way you're thinking, but let me explain the way I'm thinking. <laughs> right? We do this with not only individuals, but with whole groups of people. Like I, I won't even get into the politics, but don't you just know you think better than those other people? Right? There's ways that this creeps in to our thinking before it ever comes out in our actions. But when we see it come out in Miriam and Aaron, in those first two verses of this chapter, they're basically asking pride's favorite question. You see, when they say, has he not spoken through us also? Pride's favorite question? What about me? What about me? I wouldn't do what they did. I wouldn't say what they did. What, what about me? Where's my credit? You know, it's kind of funny because in our culture, like, we spend a lot of energy... Like you, you get coached on this. You know, you go to seminars and they tell you, you got to build your personal brand. You got to perfect your image. And hey, if you guys like this today, would you subscribe to my channel? Because that, that really helps us out. Right? Like it's all, like so much of it is focused on I am the brand and I have to prop me up because nobody else is going to. And it's almost legitimate for Miriam and Aaron because if you think about it, Aaron is the high priest. He is the first high priest ever. And if you read through Hebrews, it talks about how he is a foreshadowing of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. So Aaron is kind of a big deal, right? But Miriam is too. Miriam was actually also a prophetess. And remember, these are Moses' siblings. That's his older brother and sister. 
So certainly they feel like, you know, it's a big deal. It's Moses, right? But Miriam is a hero in Jewish history. Because not only was she a prophetess, but if you go back to the book of Exodus, when Moses is a baby, Pharaoh commands that all of the Israelite baby boys should be killed. It is the courage of his mother and his sister, Miriam, that saves Moses' life. It is Miriam who speaks to the very princess of Egypt to encourage her that she really can raise this child she found floating down the Nile River as her own. It would be reasonable, if I'm Miriam, to be thinking, Moses wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. (laughs) Right? But here's the thing. There's a difference between the hero Miriam, right, the priest Aaron, who are doing things for God, and this moment where they begin to claim credit for themselves. What about me? I'm as good as he is, or I'm better than he is. That's where the pride begins to creep in. And you see in verse 3 that Moses is the exact opposite. It says that the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So this is kind of an interesting moment because Moses wrote the book of Numbers. So there's one of two things going on here. <laughs> right? like, like my grandpa used to joke that someday he was going to write a book, Humility and How I Obtained It. So that if you really want to be humble, all you have to do is be like me, right? (laughs) So either one option is that God has uniquely and just this once given Moses permission to brag about how humble he is, right? One of the other options is that it's, it's possibly one of the later Bible writers who puts in a parenthetical statement like this because Moses wouldn't have said it for himself. Either way, we know the truth here is that Moses was humble unlike anyone else on earth. And what's kind of cool is that this is not the normal word for humble. It's not just somebody who's meek or poor or lowly or lower class. This Hebrew word, anah, indicates something deeper than that. It is an individual's deep dependence on the Lord. So one of my favorite kind of definitions for humility is that it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So this takes it to a whole nother level. Because what this is describing about Moses, because his deep dependence is on the Lord, that he understands that all of me, all for thee, all the time, like that's the only way life works is if all of this is about God. You see, what he's saying is it's not that I'm no good, it's that I need God. That's where the credit goes. That's what replaces the grumble for him. Being humble, recognizing... Even I'm not like the great and mighty Moses. I'm just Moses. God is doing these things. And in fact, he actually proved that back in chapter 11. Just one chapter before this. As all of the people are grumbling, they're complaining for meat. They say, God, you know, give us meat to eat. And so eventually God lets them have it. They eat it. It causes a plague and people die. Because of all this grumbling, Moses honestly is kind of grumbling to God and saying, you know, I can't handle all these people. And so in that chapter, God says, I actually have another gift for you. And it's not going to cause a plague like the meat. I have something that I'd like to give. I'll take the spirit I've put on you as my prophet. I'll put it on 70 of the leaders in the camp. So bring them to the tabernacle. I'll put the spirit on them and they'll prophesy. 
And so what's kind of interesting is when Moses calls them together, two guys, Eldad and Medad, don't show up at the tabernacle. God still puts his spirit on them. And so now they're out in the camp prophesying among people's tents. So somebody gets wind of this and they know Moses is our prophet. Moses speaks for God. We've got to put a stop to this. So they report it to Joshua. First time that we see Joshua in this book. And back in Numbers chapter 11, you'll see how Moses responds to other people getting attention for the way they serve God. It says that Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Right? Like, you didn't plan this. You didn't tell them to do this. This is getting out of control, Moses. It's got to be you. You have the authority. Then Moses said to them, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. That honestly is like one of my favorite Moses moments because he realizes I'm not in charge, right? I'm not the focus of prophecy. God is. And if he wants to put his spirit on somebody else and let them prophesy, that's awesome. I wish God's spirit was on everybody and we wouldn't have so much grumbling, right? And it kind of reminds you of what Jesus does in the New Testament. His disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we have got a serious problem. All right, let's hear it. People are casting out demons in your name. Casting out demons sounds good. In my name sounds like the only way to do it. No, we're not going to put a stop to that. If they're working for the kingdom, praise God. Let God be glorified in that. And so in a way, Moses actually kind of prophesies what the church would be like because if you are a follower of Christ if you are forgiven by the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus the New Testament tells you he has put his spirit in you the spirit of God in all of his people it's like everything that Moses dreamed of you see what he's saying here is that it's not about me It's not look at me, look at what I did. That's what's coming from Miriam and Aaron. It's look what God can do. And let's pray he does even more. You know, I wish I could tell you that um, I tried to think of examples in my own life where, you know, maybe I had been a little bit prideful or thought I was better than others. And I'd love to sit down on this stool and say, but I couldn't think of any. So if you guys think of any, you know, share them with each other. (laughs) Uh, But actually, a couple weeks ago, (laughs) I probably don't even have to go back that far. But one that I thought I would share with you, because a couple weeks ago, this, this moment happens where it's like, before you ever get to the Miriam and Aaron, and you're actually complaining out loud about people, there's something that happens in the heart. And so our family ministry team here at Horizon was planning an event. And they picked a date, and everything was lined up, and then they realized they'd chosen Super Bowl Sunday for their event. Like, show of hands, good, good idea? Or we, no, we need to move that thing. <laughs> so they went and looked at the calendar, looked at some other dates, tried to see where is there not an event, and then we can use that date, and we'll just shift ours a couple of weeks. Um, problem solved, right? Well, what they didn't know is that the equipping team, who's working on some adults' events and some of our groups, and well, we were also looking at that same date for an event as our team was talking. And so I come in here on like a Thursday morning, and I find out they shifted the family ministry team event to the same day that the team I'm working with was looking at using. How dare they? (laughs) Right? Like like the weird thing that creeps into my mind, which uh, I was talking to Susan, who's part of our equipping team, and you'll often see her around here on Sunday mornings. I said, well, you know what would be helpful? 
here it comes. Here's how I know better than other people, right? Um, if it were me, I mean, I probably would have asked around, you know, just to make sure that nobody else was thinking about using that date. Right? Like, I, I wouldn't do what they did. You see how instantly that begins to cause tension and disunity. Like, I love our family ministry team and all the people on it. Why, why do I? Because I'm thinking, what about me? Nobody asked me. So here's what's painful about it. Susan says to me, um, well, you know, one thing that uh, could help with that in the future is if you're thinking about events and dates for those events, if you just let me know, I can pencil them in on the calendar. That way, when they look at it, you know, they could see that there's something else that we're thinking about there. Oh, man. That was not a new idea. That is my responsibility, and I didn't do it. <laughs> Which means it was actually my fault all along that when they looked at the calendar, there was nothing else there to see. Uh, so I had to have a little bit of humble pie, you know, right there. So I'm thankful that the Lord kind of catches that quickly sometimes. You know, all of that happened in about five minutes, and then I just get to go on a little mini apology tour. And... But you can see how even that little bit, like I wouldn't make that mistake. I would actually make this mistake even earlier than they had a chance to, right? It starts to separate us, right? It takes people that I love and makes them think, makes me feel like they're different, like they're opposition instead of friends, right? I mean, this is Miriam and Aaron. This is brother and his sister. He's been with them for years. They've seen God bring them out of Egypt together, but it begins to creep in. And so now God is going to have to address it. And so if you look at verse four, I, I love this moment. When God calls them out. He says, you three out here, tabernacle right now. And as I was prepping for this message, I was trying to explain this moment to my wife. Because I think this is where you see, like, God the Father so clearly. Like, isn't this totally a dad moment? Like, we've got four kids. And, and they know, like, sometimes it's a good thing. Often it's because I can hear fighting somewhere in the house. And I can't tell who it is. And I don't know what it is. But now somebody's crying. And so I'm telling my wife, it's like when I say, all four kids in front of me right now. And wherever they are, like, they gather, you know. <laughs> so this is so funny because we're standing in our bedroom, and I'm just explaining this to her. Like, I think it's kind of like that kind of a moment. You know, I think, like, you know. And then we hear footsteps. And the children are gathering right now because they heard Dad say this thing. And I'm like, oh, I better come up with something to tell them when they get here. But that's the moment that they're having with, with God. Like, when God calls you to task, when he says time to speak in front of the tabernacle, there's no hesitation. They show up. Because just like last week, says the people grumbled and the Lord heard it. Miriam and Aaron grumbled and the Lord heard it. So he called Aaron and Miriam and they both went forward. Now I want you to notice this. Moses hasn't said a word. I think that's really important. Because when you and I face this, like sometimes it's me, I'm doing it. Sometimes it's other people. They're grumbling about me. They're complaining about me, right? And I don't know about you, but my, all of my reactions are like defensive, right? To explain myself. You know, all the good things that I've done. Well, what about all the good things that I've done? And like, I, I could just tell you story after story of how arguments start because somebody says, well, didn't you do this? Well, I don't know, but... Didn't you see me do this, and I did this, and I did these good things, and I helped over here? I mean, you know what it's like, right, to be in a team meeting at work, and like there's six people who are going to be working on this project for the next three months, and everyone is primarily concerned with building their personal brand, which means if anything's not quite working, nobody wants to own it. 
And if it goes really well, we're all trying to make sure the CEO saw that I was the lead on this team. Well, I was the one who had the first idea. I would just like to add that to my resume. Moses hasn't said a word. So I wonder, when we face this, whether it is us, like we're Miriam and Aaron, or we're Moses and we're being hurt, are we willing to let God do the talking? Because God is going to defend Moses. In fact, check out how this happens in verses 6 through 8. This is pretty cool because you'll notice in your text, if you look at it on the page, all of a sudden it's formatted differently. Because what just happened is when God speaks here, it's put into Hebrew poetry. Which is one of the ways that it helped them memorize scripture before they had it all written down, before they had copies they could pass out. Different formats, even in the text, would help them to memorize the scripture, to memorize what God had said. And so I, I kind of broke it out for you here because what you're seeing is exactly what we saw when we studied the Psalms of Easter a couple of years ago. To help people remember the main point, God uses something called a chiasm, which means that every line in this statement parallels another line. And maybe you expect that in Psalms, that's a book of poetry, but God uses it here when he speaks to Miriam and Aaron, which means the gray lines parallel, the blue lines parallel, until you get to the yellow lines in the middle, which are the main point, right at the center of the chiasm. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And that whole thing is bookended. Look at the gray. God starts by saying, hear now my words. God says, I'm going to do the talking. And ends with, why then were you not afraid to speak? Like, what do you even say to that? God says, I I have something to say about this, but you've been doing all the talking. I'm telling you, like, I know it's just like personal confession time, but like when I'm in the midst of an argument, when when I'm in the heat of a moment that I'm feeling like I can't believe those people act like that, I can't believe those people believe those things, I can't believe those people do that, Like, if the Holy Spirit can just stop my mouth for like 10 seconds and say, can I say something here? It may not change a mistake that's happened. It may not change something that's hurt me, but it certainly begins to change my attitude, right? My sense of pride that is starting to elevate me above them, to be indignant, to say, what about me? To say, I would never. All of those kinds of things that creep in into those moments. You see, God is trying to get after the heart that is behind this before it ever comes out of their mouths. And we know a big piece of that is their, it's their pride. It's their jealousy of Moses. And the reality is the, the grumble of pride begins to damage all of those things that we mentioned culturally at the beginning of this chapter. It's causing this family drama. Now you have this, this public embarrassment of these two essentially celebrities in the Hebrew camp. Everyone knows Miriam and Aaron. But there's another way that it breaks out too. In fact, if you go back to verse 1, verse 1 says that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married. So I've got this map for you because we translate that Ethiopian, but it's actually the word Cushite, as in somebody from Cush. And so this is northern Africa, but the red is to give you an idea of where the Cush empire was in history. And so sometimes it kind of wanders up into the Middle East too and you get a little bit of overlap with the Midianites. But largely it's parts of Egypt, the Sudan, and into northern Ethiopia. And the Cushites are described a number of times in the Hebrew Bible as if there's something notable about their complexion. 
So it is probably that they had a darker complexion than the Israelites do. And so they're coming from this place of Ethiopia. That's why we tend to translate it Ethiopian. But here's what's really going on here. Because in one sense, you could say, well, maybe this is like we think of modern-day racism. Because they are darker skin and we are lighter skin. But, but even if you drop that whole thing, what you clearly have coming from Miriam and Aaron is that she is different. She's the wrong people group. She's not even an Israelite. Moses married some lady. She's not even an Israelite. Aren't we the people of God? Don't we have the promises? I heard a guy speaking um, a couple of weeks ago, and this, this was so helpful because he's a guy who is, um, he's dealing with like social justice issues and he's trying to figure out, you know, criminal justice system, make sure everyone gets fair treatment. And there's all of these different like kind of paths that that goes down. But the, the term that was so helpful to me was he said, we have to stop thinking about skin color as if that's actually what people care about. Because it goes so far beyond that in so many areas of life. The problem is othering. And he defined othering as when we treat people as if they are other than us. They're those other people. And we start to create distance. And so that could be, I mean, that can be between nationalities, that can be between people groups, but guys, as he described it, that can be in your family. Well, I don't do what my brother does, and I wouldn't have done what my parents did, and I, right? And we start to separate ourselves from people. You know, he basically tells us it might be awkward, but we have to get to know people. We have to lean back into people that seem like they may be other. Because one of the things that happens when, when skeptics, explorers, you know, people who are trying to figure out if God is worth buying into, you pick up the Old Testament, you could ask, but isn't God racist? I mean, doesn't he say, I chose Israel and I want them to wipe out the Canaanites? And like, we're going to see some of that come in the numbers. And so there's a couple things that are important to understand as God addresses this. Because God hates othering. Right? God has made every human being in his image. And when it comes to some of these things, you'll, you'll notice as we go through numbers that the primary problem is not that they're from a different tribe or nation. The problem is that they have false gods. And that the things they are doing are just purely evil and destructive. In fact, we've already seen in the book of Numbers how God invites all of the nations into his covenant. While he's making sure to protect the Israelite people as that line leads to the Messiah. Did you notice? Like this is one of the coolest things I found just a few years ago. And Chad mentioned it last week. There were Egyptians that came out of Egypt with Israel. Like they saw 10 plagues happen and they said, our gods are not cutting it anymore. <laughs> um, your God is powerful. He seems like he is the one God. He's above all the other gods. We're going to go with you. Like, did you know that? Like Egyptians go with them. And in chapter 9, we saw how when they wanted to celebrate the Passover, right at the end of that, God says, and hey, if the stranger or the alien, right, the other among you wants to celebrate Passover, Awesome. Just make sure they celebrate it the same way that you do. If they want to be part of this covenant, then they have to be part of this covenant under the same guidelines as you do. Especially with Passover as it points to Christ, how critical that is. And you will see that all the way through Old Testament and New Testament history. In fact, one of the coolest ways that this shows up, all right, so this is like the uh, 23 and Me kind of thing, but so Moses' wife as a Cushite, that means she came from Ham, Son of Noah. I know, it means something else in English, but Ham, son of Noah. 
right? The Israelites are from Shem, son of Noah. They're literally the same family that she's complaining about. Literally the same family. In fact, the Canaanites, also from Ham, son of Noah. You see, what the Bible teaches is that there are not a whole bunch of races. There is one race. It's the human race. God put his image on all of us, and we all have a common ancestor in Noah. We're all the same family. And when you get all the way down to Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross has DNA from Ham and Shem. It's no wonder that at his throne... Every knee shall bow from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Because there is no other. It's us. See, this is what Miriam and Aaron were missing. This is why it broke so completely for them. It's why God wants to deal with it so directly. And so you see back in verse 9, that's where the anger of the Lord is aroused against them. And you notice that Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Some commentators think that that may be like the reverse of what she was picking on the Ethiopian woman for, right? Like, then, then you'll be as white as we can make you. It's hard to nail that down for sure. It could be one of those things where, where God's kind of having some fun with the consequence. But more importantly is the fact that he is bringing that consequence. Right? That he is calling this out as unacceptable behavior. Because of the pride, because of that grumble. But it also kind of begs the question, again, this is just like, you know, to let you in behind the scenes when I'm reading the Bible. I read this chapter and it says, so Miriam and Aaron complained about the Ethiopian wife and grumbled against Moses and so Miriam became a leper. What about Aaron? That's not fair, (laughs) right? So we think that what's going on here is because when you go back to the beginning of the passage, it's unusual that Miriam is listed first. Partly because Aaron is the high priest. He had such a prominent leadership position among the people. But not only is Miriam listed first, but the verb that's given for their speaking against Moses takes a feminine form. The indication is that Miriam really was the, the point person on this, which is probably why the more direct consequence is given to her. But what I want you to notice in this moment then is in verse 11, when Aaron sees all of this happen... Finally, he humbles himself. He says, Moses, my Lord, do not lay this sin on us. He doesn't say, well, I mean, you know how Miriam is. He doesn't say, hey, that's just kind of my personality. Or, Well, we all make mistakes. Like he recognizes it as sin. He recognizes that this is something that needs to be fixed. Something that needs to be forgiven. And so here's kind of the positive that I take from this. Because in a sense, he's recognizing the pride, the othering, all of these things. And the cure for othering is humility. The cure for othering is humility. That I am willing to consider that I might not be better than you. I might not know better than you. I might be wrong in this situation. And can I take one step down off the pedestal that I just built for myself and recognize how I need humility. That's what Aaron is finally willing to do. And when you see that happen, you know, I don't know about you, but when I hear these kind of examples, again, it's so easy for me to kind of set this whole thing aside and say, well, thank goodness I'm not like that. <laughs> Which, again, puts me in danger of becoming exactly like that without ever addressing this with God. 
And so I want to give you a couple other ways that this can kind of show up. So, so here's one. Here, here's one example that I've caught in my own life of othering people. I, when I was in seminary, I worked at the bookstore. And my boss at the bookstore was just one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. So I was getting to know him. We were starting to hang out. We were starting to hang out outside of work. Like we're just really getting to be good friends. But then I found out one day that he is a Patriots fan. Oh, man. He's one of them? <laughs> and as goofy as it sounds, like literally in my head for a second, I was like, is this okay? Can Bill's fans be friends with Patriots fans? Like, don't we need to separate now? <laughs> right? Which, of course, was ridiculous. It melts immediately. And, and Patrick was a, a great friend until um, the day that he passed away. And I just, just love that guy. But it's like, what was it in my head that thought for a second that a guy I knew well belonged in some other bucket, right? And before you, like, get all mad at me, how do you feel about Rams fans right now? <laughs> Don't let it in, people. Don't let that grumble in. <laughs> And I just noticed I do this. Like, I, same thing in, in kind of a different way happened to me when I was growing up in Chicago and I knew that homelessness was a problem in the city. And I don't know who I was listening to or why I believed them, but this is a hard issue. I, I put them all in the same homeless bucket and treated them as other without ever meeting any of them. And I'll tell you what, like God called me in front of the tabernacle on that thing. Drew, right now. Which is why I love when we go down to City Gospel Mission here in Cincinnati I think I got this right. Second and fourth Sundays, third Mondays, meet down there at 6.15 and serve a meal. It's not people who are homeless. I mean, they are, but it's people. You sit at the table, you have a meal with them, you get to know them, you hear their story. And they're no longer different or other. They're just people you know. You've got their names. You can pray for them. Because this can break in such painful ways when we put people in an other category and maybe you can think of your own you know I was just talking to my friend Carl yesterday because in his life he's experienced this in some really painful ways within his own family so Carl is like my best friend in the world like this this is the guy that like when I'm around Carl I don't have to think about anything I'm just me you know and Carl is half Japanese and so when his parents met and were getting married his dad was uh, in the air force stationed in Japan um you know, met a beautiful Japanese woman and they fell in love and so they're getting married. And so he wrote all of these letters to his extended family saying, I'm getting married and I can't wait for you to meet her and her name is Masami and I would love for you to come. And his dad got a message back from his grandma, so Carl's great-grandma, begging him not to do this because she remembers the war and she knows what Japanese people are like. And Carl, if you marry that woman, your children are going to look like them. Like, it's still painful for Carl to talk about today because he was like nine years old before he ever met his great-grandma. Like, he was old enough to know why he hadn't met her. Like, she didn't even know Masami. <laughs> but she put her in an other bucket. And I'll tell you, I probably will tell you more about Masami sometime, but she's just one of the coolest people. And, and what I love about their story is that Masami was the first one in the family to become a Christ follower. And because she became a Christian, her husband, both of her kids, her husband's brother, her own sister, her sister's husband, their kids, uh, another brother-in-law, her own parents. Like you're going to meet them all in heaven because of Masami. Now that's a story I'd like to get to know. 
You know, that's the difference when we let pride set us above other people and distance us. And what Carl's great-grandma missed out on was an opportunity for relationship and an opportunity to heal and restore. And see, I think that is what Aaron is finally doing. And I think it's what Moses is willing to do. And so I think for us, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Am I willing to ask God for healing and restoration? Because check out verse 13. Moses cried out to the Lord. This is the first thing he said in the entire chapter. He is the one who has been wronged. So we've seen Aaron do it. And and isn't it interesting that Aaron appeals to Moses? Moses appeals to God. So whether you are the one who has done wrong or you are the one being wronged, are you willing to pursue healing and restoration? Because Moses' prayer, each of these is like one Hebrew word with an exclamation point after it. Like it is just breaking out of his heart. Please heal her. God, I pray. The one who has been wronged, the first time he speaks, he's been silent the entire time. And when he finally speaks, he asks God for forgiveness. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Like a sheep before his shears, he was silent and did not open his mouth. Through all the false accusations, Jesus did not fight back. He did not defend himself. But on that cross, as Jesus died, when he spoke, he said, Father, forgive them. That's why we need a mediator. Moses is not a perfect person. We'll see that. But he's pointing towards a Jesus who is. And that's why I love the way that God handles this in the last few verses. Because in 14 to 16, you see there is accountability. It is right for us to condemn this kind of thinking. Like it is right to hold people accountable. But guys, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture, the problem is when we see that negative behavior, we condemn the person and it's permanent. But you notice what God does? God corrects the behavior. And instead of permanent condemnation, it's short-term accountability and long-term grace. That God immediately describes how she can be restored to the camp and received again. And you notice that afterward, the people moved. So while Miriam was outside the camp, I mean, you can imagine people saying like, oh my word, how much longer until like, this is killing me. Miriam is driving me nuts. But they don't leave without her. And when they move on to Paran, they go together. Guys, that is like what Jesus is all about. That is why we praise him. That is why we sing to him. That is why we love him. Because he brings healing, restoration, forgiveness, and grace. The only one who never did anything wrong that all of us have done wrong against. And when he finally speaks, he says, Father, forgive them. So my encouragement for us today, and this is for me too. Trade the, the grumble to be humble like Jesus. Are you willing to let God call you in front of the tabernacle and correct how you've been thinking about somebody else or even a group of people? And are you humble enough, like Christ, to seek forgiveness even when you are the one who's been wronged? Let's pray.
Jesus, we do love you. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, for humbling yourself to the point of the cross. Lord, we thank you also for your resurrection that confirms that you can heal us, you can forgive us, and you can give us eternal life. And so I just, I just pray, God, I just want to say that we trust you. We trust you if you need to call us in front of the tabernacle. We trust you to speak to our hearts if we need correction. God, I trust you for that in me. I trust you for that over my friends who are joining us this morning because we know that you are a good God. And so we want to say that it's, it's all of us is all for you. And we'll do that by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm really thankful that you are here today. And, and I wanted to, just before you left, I wanted to make sure you knew one more thing, which is one of the ways I suppose that we can, can humble ourselves and lift others up. But we've got a care supply going on kind of all the time, but especially right now for inter-parish ministries. So when you see these tan bags out in the atrium, if you grab one of those, um, you don't even have to think of what you need. There's like a shopping list in there. And so I would love for you to just consider picking up one of those, filling it with supplies, and just bringing it right back here, because that's one of the ways that we show God's love to our community. So check out the care supply bags, and I'd invite you back next week for Numbers 13. Thank you for coming. 